Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being here. It is an honor to have you here. It encourages us and we hope that we can encourage you by being here. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter. 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter. In just a few minutes, we'll look at a prayer uh, to close out the chapter that we've been studying today that is definitely most... uh, could easily be applied to the wish that we would have for our graduates. Speaking of graduates, we had our Tuesday, Thursday school graduation here Thursday uh, Thursday evening, and it was a wonderful time. The, the good that is being done with that school, we are so thankful for each one that is helping with that. And, and if it would be all right, I would like for all of you youngsters uh, that are in our Tuesday, Thursday program to stand up. Could you like stand where we could see you? You might have to stand on a pew for us to see. Look at all these. All right. Beautiful and handsome heads are popping up everywhere. All right. We are so thankful uh, for these young people and the good uh, that they are involved in on Tuesdays and Thursdays throughout the school year. And we're so thankful for the teachers that uh, are part of their lives and enriching their lives in that way. Saturday was a tremendous day here. Uh, we had a small group to leave that are down in Mississippi this week, uh, Saturday morning. We had a group that went and helped all day long in Special Olympics. We had a work day here with many, many working outside and inside the building. And also we had a group that traveled to Dayton, Tennessee, and they worked in making preparations for us to be there. They were talking to some in the congregation that had interest in learning how we conduct Bible studies and how we door knock and etc. And so it's really amazing all of the different directions and the good that was done Saturday. And we are so thankful for all of that to simply have the opportunity to be a part of it. Be sure and find your place in the Lord's work. And let's make sure that we're busy uh, for His glory. And uh, make sure that we make a difference in the success of heaven. This time of year, there is a college in Wisconsin, Beloit College, that always produces a list that really educators across America have begun looking for these lists every year. And they call it their mindset list. And this would be the mindset of the 2006 graduates. In other words, they put out about 50 to 75 things that if you can remember this about these graduates this year, it helps you understand where they're coming from. Now, I picked out a few here that I would like for you to remember. And really, this is just to make most of us feel old, okay? Uh, The first one is, since they have been born, a Southerner has always been the President of the United States. Cars have always had eye-level rear stoplights, CD players, and airbags. Since they have been born, they have been always able to choose the long-distance carriers. Weather reports have always been available 24 hours a day on television. Cyberspace has always existed. Bruce Springsteen's new hit, Born in the USA, could have been played at their birth. Barbie has always had a job. Telephone bills have always been totally incomprehensible. George Foreman has always been a barbecue grill salesman. (laughs) Afghanistan has always been on the front page story. They have no recollection of Connie Chung as a serious journalist. Peter Jennings, Dan Rather, and Tom Brokaw have always anchored the evening news. The U.S. and Soviets have always been partners in space. The GM Saturn has always been on the road. Fox has always been a television network of choice. 
Males do not carry a handkerchief in their back pocket. Cherry Coke has always come in cans. A hotline is a consumer service rather than a phone used to avoid accidental nuclear war. Electronic filing of federal income taxes has always been an option. Sylvian Learning Centers have always been an after-school option. They grew up in minivans. And this generation has never wanted to be a pepper too. Many of us can identify with all of those, which also serves to remind us that there are younger generations. Younger generations that's going to perhaps live beyond us and carry a gospel to a generation that we will not be alive during their time. And it's exciting to think of the circle of life and the way God has created things and how we can be a part of their lives now and how they can carry on and be a part of the lives of a younger generation. But isn't it wonderful to think that no matter what generation we're in, that we can share in something that will never change. We can share in something that is just as certain today as it was in last generation or that it'll be in the next generation. And so as we've been studying through 1 Thessalonians, Paul has a great concern for those people back in Thessalonica. You remember he had to run from them. He ran from them down to Berea, and then he had to run from Berea on down into Athens. And now he's in hiding. And what is it that Paul would finally reach the point where he'd say, I just can't stand it any longer. I can't endure any longer. And you may remember from this morning what it is. He's saying, I have to find out how are the new Christians doing in Thessalonica. And it's there that he sends back Timothy and he brings back word of how they're doing. And he's so excited that they're doing well, that they're faithful, that they love the Lord and that they love each other. And he closes out this chapter with a prayer for them. And this is a prayer that would be most appropriate even for our graduates tonight. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, verse 11, beginning. Now may our God and Father Himself and Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. He wanted desperately to see them. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. As we think about verse 12 there, we see that this deals with our relationship with God. We see that this deals with our relationship with the church. We see that this deals also with our relationship with mankind. Let's break this verse down and let's see those things and let's see what our prayer for our graduates would be. Did you notice that he said that the Lord make you increase? Now you have to stop and and think about that for a little bit. I didn't think the Lord made us do anything. When Noah built an ark, it was because he decided to obey God. When Abraham offered his son upon an altar, it was because he was being tested and he decided to pass that test. When the apostles were selected to be apostles, it wasn't because He made them be apostles. He gave them the opportunity to be apostles. You see, the point is true. The Lord has never forced anyone to serve Him in any capacity. So how is it that the Lord can make 
them increase and abound in love. I want to remind you of a passage, if you will be turning with me to Jeremiah the 18th chapter. As you're going to Jeremiah the 18th chapter, I want you to think about the fact that the only way that the Lord can make us increase is if we make ourselves available to the Lord. What a beautiful thought to say, Lord, in humility, I submit my life to you. I place my life in your hands, God. I trust the way you can form me. I trust the way you can lead me. I trust the final destination and I trust each moment of the day. Lord, I place my life in your hands. Your will be done, not my will. That's what he was saying to Jeremiah, even as it related not only to an individual, but to a nation, a nation of people. Let's begin reading in the 18th chapter in verse 2. He tells him, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so that he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. I want to go ahead and read two more verses that aren't on the screen before you. Verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter? Says the Lord, Look. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Friends, do I really believe that? Do I believe that the Lord can make something wonderful of my life? Or am I selfish and lacking in faith enough that I think if I totally give my life over to God, God will ruin it? I hope that our graduates, I hope and pray that we can say to them tonight, May the Lord make you increase. In other words, I hope all of our graduates, it can be said that they've taken their life and they have placed it in the Lord's hands. They are clay on a potter's wheel. And the Almighty God, the great potter, will make something wonderful of their life. I hope that's the prayer for all of us. Now, as we see here, and he spoke of the Lord making you increase, You see, what he's saying to them is, if you'll place your life on the potter's wheel, he can make more abundant things take place in your life. You see, he said, increase and abundantly, back in our text. And so he's saying, if we'll place ourselves in his hands, not only can he make wonderful things take place in our life, he can make many more wonderful things take place in our life. I want you to look at another text that uses the word increase, and it does come from a different Greek word. It's not the same original language, but it helps us to understand what God can do for us if we will do our part. Let's go to Luke, the second chapter. In Luke, the second chapter, as we think about increase, as we think about God giving us increase, let's think how that relates to Jesus In Luke, the second chapter, he's 12 years old at the point that we're going to read. And you remember that he stayed back in the temple and his parents hunted all over for him. And do you remember when his parents addressed him? Do you remember what he said in verse 49? We're in Luke 2 and 49. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? At 12 years of age, his focus was clear. He knew what his purpose was. He was going to put his life on the wheel, so to speak. And he was going to let the Almighty Father in Heaven mold his life and to bring about in his life whatever was the will of God. Remember, that's what he prayed in the garden. 
before his death. Not my will, but your will be done. Even in the garden, he was reminding himself and he was making and renewing his promise to God. I'm still there on the wheel, God. You're still molding my life. I trust you. Now, look for the word increase. Let's read verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. There was something about his intellect. There was something about him physically, his stature. There was something about him spiritually, his relationship with God. There was something about him socially. And what was it? Increase. And the word increase here comes from the idea of moving forward due to effort. In other words, if we look at an army that fights its way forward, we say the army is advancing That would be the same language that this word comes from when it says Jesus increased. In other words, when we see a child, in a sense, a child could appear to do hardly anything. In other words, no focused effort and physically grow somewhat. That's not what's being said about Jesus here. It's saying Jesus advanced due to great effort. In other words, whatever advancements that Jesus made intellectually, it was because he applied himself. It's like an army that's battling its way forward. The person that he became physically was because he advanced himself carefully, the way he conducted himself as a young man. His spiritual life and his relationship with God was an advancement that he put a great amount of energy into and focus into that. His relationship with mankind wasn't an accident that it increased. It was an advancement that he intended to make. What's the point? Some of you have already put this together in your minds. If the Lord is going to give us an increase, we must first decide to make the advancement to the potter's will. We must decide if we're going to be serious about growing in the way God wants us to grow. And if we take our lives to the potter's wheel, we can rest assured that God will do His part. So the first aspect of the prayer tonight is when He says that the Lord make you increase. That's implying that we make our advancements to the Lord And the Lord will do His part. But as we go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians, I'd like for you to also note the fact that He says to make you increase and abound. That's just to emphasize it, that it's even far more than what we could ever imagine that the Lord could do in our life. But notice again what He says here in verse 12, that the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. Now here He's writing to Christians about their love to other Christians. He says, I want the Lord to make you increase and abound in the way you love each other. Graduates, it's our prayer that not only that you love God, but that you always love His church. Brothers and sisters in Christ. It's impossible to love God and not love the church. It's impossible to not love the church and... And love God. In other words, the two go hand in hand. But I want to urge you graduates to realize there's nobody 
nobody that will be better friends for you long term than your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nowhere else you'll find mother and father figures like you will in church families. There's nowhere else that you'll find grandmother and grandfather figures like you will in the church. Love the church. Not just because it's right, but because it's a rich, rich blessing in our life. I'd like for you to notice this passage in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter and verse 9. As you know, our text today has been in the third chapter, but notice this down in the fourth chapter. He speaks about this very same thing. And he says, but concerning brotherly love, you see, that's love for the church, love for brothers and sisters. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in the Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you... And here's a word again, again, again. That you increase more and more. Now notice he begins there in 9... He speaks also of that love for one another, that brotherly love, coming from the original language of Philadelphia. Most of us immediately recognize that, the city of brotherly love. What comes from that Greek word that simply means fraternal love. It's the love that we would say, that's natural love. Do you see what he's saying in this verse we've just read? He says we ought to love the church so much that we see each other as family, and we just naturally have that affection one for another. But some of us are slow learners. And so... He also refers in the middle of verse 9 there to say, God has taught you to love one another. In other words, if we're going to be God's children, we will love one another. If it doesn't come naturally, it'll be learned. But one way or another, God's children will love each other. As a matter of fact, if it could not be any clearer, and I don't think there's a slide on this one, but if you want to turn over to 1 John, the fourth chapter, this is clear enough right here. He states it as clear as it is anywhere else in the Scripture. And in 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 20, he says, 1 John 4 and 20, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So John writes and says, where did we learn this about loving our brother? And he reminds us, this commandment came from God. Paul writes to those in Thessalonica and he says, we ought to just love one another. But lest we forget, let me tell you why we ought to love one another. This commandment is from God. God teaches us to love one another. What a blessing the church family is. What a blessing it is that we can love one another. But notice this. Not only does he say here in this prayer that the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. But then he also says, and to all. Do you realize that Christians are the only, Christians are the only individuals that love everybody? Do you realize that? There's no one else on earth. And it's not because of our goodness and because of our righteousness. It's because of the wisdom and the righteousness of the God we serve. When we're truly Christians, we love our enemies. 
When we're truly Christians, we'll go the extra mile for a stranger that we've never met. When we're truly Christians, we'll do good for someone that lives in another state or another country or another continent on the other side of the world because we believe that Christians are to love all. Not just one another, the church. But we truly are to love all. Now with this, I want you to think with me of 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter. Look in 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter in verse 15. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 15, he says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. I couldn't help, but when I was thinking about this passage, you know, our natural instinct is to seek vengeance. He says, whoa, 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 not that for Christians. Someone does you evil, you don't return evil for evil. Paul, what are we supposed to do if we don't return evil for evil? He says, hey, you live a life that is in pursuit of goodness, not only for yourself, but for all. And I couldn't help but think, that sounds kind of like a superhero, doesn't it? What's your mission in life? My mission is pursue goodness for all mankind. That's what Christians are to be. Where we literally want to go about our life saying, the highest calling of every day of my life is to find goodness and be a part of it. Not only for my own life, but for everyone around me. Graduates, our prayer for you is that you will find many good ways to invest your life in good things that will be a benefit for mankind that you surround. Will you do that? When you think about your careers, when you think about the investment of your time and energy, when you think about what's going to be in your heart, think about things that you can do good. Not just for the church, but that you can do good for all and give the glory to God. The Lord wants us to increase. And if we'll make ourselves available to Him, He'll make increase available for us. He wants that increase to be in love for the church. And also, that we love all of mankind. Now the closing verse here, notice 13. He said, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. What do you want to do? Well, he's back to where we were this morning. He wanted to establish their hearts. He wants their hearts to be set deep. What does he want to do? He wants to establish the heart. Now, we didn't concentrate on the heart this morning, but when we think on the heart, I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs, the fourth chapter. This is one of the great passages about the heart. Great passage about the heart. Look with me in Proverbs, the fourth chapter. Listen to what the prayer of the heart is. For my son, give attention to my words. We're in Proverbs 4 and 20 and following. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Notice where we're supposed to keep the words of wisdom from God. Keep them in the midst of your heart. 
For they are life to those who find them. That's what they're worth. We're talking about the difference in life and death spiritually. And health to all their flesh. Keep, the idea is guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. Paul writes about those young Christians in Thessalonica. He says, I want their heart to be established. What does he mean by that, that their heart be established? The proverb writer here helps us to some degree. The importance of that is everything in our life stems from our heart. We have five senses. Those five senses take in material at all times, and that is filtered through the heart. When we say something and we say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. We may not have meant to say it, but it was in our heart. When we think something sometime and then we think, why did I think that? It's in the heart. That's why we have to be careful of what we take in through the eyes and what we take in through the ears and through the touch and through the taste and through the smell because it all registers in the heart. And so all the issues of life spring from the heart. If we were to take a city reservoir, a a water reservoir, and we were to contaminate it, and then we go to our house and we allow that water to run into our house and we turn the faucet on and we say, oh, that water is nasty. Wouldn't it be foolish to say, we need to change that faucet. We need to go under the house and work on the plumbing. Those aren't the problems. The problem is the reservoir. How many times do we say, I need to work on that bad habit. I need to quit doing that. And the truth is, when we work on the heart, we work on all the issues of life. When we place the right things in the heart, we're putting ourselves in place to say the right things and do the right things and think the right things. Our prayer for you graduates tonight is that you'll have a pure heart. A pure heart, as he would say here in our text in 1 Thessalonians, he would say a heart that's blameless in holiness. In other words, a heart that is set on doing God's will. Set on being holy. Tonight, what difference can you make? Tom Hanks spoke at a commencement. And I know with the things happening this weekend in the movies, that might not be the best one to quote here, but I'll do that anyway, okay? He spoke at a commencement, a graduation commencement, and he, he spoke about the power of four. And he used a study that was really intriguing when you really stop and and look how powerful his illustration was. They did a computer simulator of the traffic problems in Southern California. And what they were trying to do is figure out how many cars had to come off the road in order to free up rush hour traffic. A 25-mile drive was taking two hours. Now, the problem was gridlock. Now, around here, when we think of traffic problems, we think of either construction or we think of an accident. But when you get into larger cities, it's actually gridlock where there are literally too many vehicles for the amount of intersections and roads. Uh, When we lived on Long Island and we were heading into New York City, the worst thing that you could have is those reports on the over the freeways, the report that said city and gridlock. 
Because that meant hours upon hours of waiting to go through the city. So they did a survey, or they did a, a simulator here to figure out what would it take. And probably everyone was surprised to find out they only had to remove four out of every 100 vehicles. That would turn a two-hour drive into 25 minutes. Isn't that amazing? Four out of every 100 vehicles. One out of every 25 commuters. If one out of every 25 just said, I'm not going to work today, there wouldn't be a rush hour. Isn't that amazing? But have you thought about the power of four out of a hundred? It took less than four computer geeks to start Microsoft. You take four out of a hundred and it would overturn most elections. You take four out of a hundred consumers and it'll put any product to the back of the shelf and some off the shelves. What's the point? Most things are not accomplished in life by huge numbers. Most things are accomplished by few. Just a few. And I want to challenge our graduates tonight. If you stay faithful to God, in some ways you'll never be with the majority. But I can promise you this. You will accomplish more in your life than the majority will ever accomplish. Because you and God become the greatest majority that's ever been. We have a prayer for you tonight, graduates. A prayer that you'd make yourself available to God so that God can make you increase. And that you'll always love the church. And that you'll always love mankind. And that you'll always establish your heart and guard it carefully. And great things will surely be yours now, but especially for an eternity. If you're not a part of the Lord's family, tonight would be a wonderful time to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're ready to repent of sins and confess before men, won't you make that decision tonight? Best decision that you'll make. Maybe you've made that decision and you haven't been serious. You haven't been committed. You've lost focus. You've lost the way. You've let something separate you. Whatever it is, it could be a list of a thousand things. But the important thing tonight is that each one of us leave here knowing that our life is right with God. Knowing that we have done our part to be on the potter's wheel. You need prayer. If we can help you in 